Good morning, 1548 Heights members and friends, online and in person, grace and peace to you in abundance. How many of you have noticed that after seven years, we finally have a cross in our sanctuary? Amen. <laughs> I want to thank everyone who was involved in that, my wife Angela, Carol, uh, Karen, um, Peggy Sturman down at First Colony. Who am I missing, Karen? Uh, oh, Debbie Clark. Yes, of course, who, <laughs> who in memory of her mother, uh, donated that gift. But I got to tell you, as beautiful as it is and as welcome as it is, if you're familiar with the sword of Damocles, you know, uh, I, I kind of feel, but I, I noticed that if I'm standing here, it would not theoretically fall on me. And, I, you know, I just have to assume that with the same trust we have for these chandeliers, we would have the same trust with the cross of Jesus. Today is Baptism Sunday. We schedule these about once a quarter. People are welcome to be baptized any Sunday, but we find it helpful to designate a Sunday, get the baptismal filled and heated up and all ready. And uh, we invite you, if you've been pondering being baptized into Christ, uh, to consider doing that today. I'll extend an invitation at the end of this message. And whether you've been pondering it or not, we believe the Holy Spirit is always at work and may uh, prod you to make that step of faith today. And so we rejoice in that. At 1548, our mission is to be a transforming church, changing lives for God and for good in the world as God transforms us into the image of Jesus. We have a guest this morning who told me that he chose this church. He was looking to visit a church. He chose it because of our mission statement. That just really, really touched me. But we are trying to be a transforming church because we believe the Christian life is about transformation, spiritual transformation. Uh, takes place over time in community in the context of habits and practices and rhythms that allow God to shape us into his son's image for God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. We are in the fifth week of a series called Good and Beautiful, based on a book by James Bryan Smith. Here's a picture of that book, The Good and Beautiful You, Discovering the Person Jesus Created You to Be. And so far in this series, we've talked about uh, having a soul, that we have a soul. We are unique among animals, that we are created in the image of God, and that image is the soul, the, 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 the deepest essence of our God-breathed humanity that requires care and attention. And then we talked about having a body, that we are embodied beings, and our body is a gift to be treasured, it is a servant to be directed, and it is an instrument to serve God and others. And I encourage us not to be swayed by cultural views of appearance and attractiveness. Seek health and functionality in your body. And then we talked about being desired by God, that Jesus is, if you will, the hound of heaven always pursuing us in love, seeking to reclaim us for God and God's family and for God's purposes. And then we talked last week about being forgiven, 
that when we put our faith and trust in what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we are fully and finally forgiven in him. We don't have to continually offer up confessions and in a transactional way trying to uh, atone for our sin. Uh, we are covered by the blood of Christ. And today, as David mentioned, we're going to talk about being made alive. So as we always do, let's read our primary scripture for today. And you have a bulletin, and in that bulletin is an outline. If you find it helpful to follow along and make notes or fill in the blanks, I encourage you to do that today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Listen to the word of the Lord. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desire of flesh and senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy... Out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Thanks be to God for his word and for his living word, Jesus Christ. In Smith's book, he talks about a college student named Stan. Uh, James Bryan Smith spent a, a season as a campus minister at a Christian college. And one of the students named Stan came to see him and said, I, I need to talk to someone. I want you to know that I almost killed myself last night, but I couldn't go through with it. And Smith assured him he'd made the right decision and told him God loves him and people love him and he would help him in any way he desired. And Stan proceeded to share that for a season when he was in high school, he was traumatized and betrayed by a beloved family figure, his uncle, who told him that if he told anyone, the uncle would spread lies about him and the family would turn against him. And this had weighed on him and just uh, enervated him and he became overcome with depression and despondency, and hence his visit to Smith. And so Smith prayed with him and assured him he would walk with him and helped him get connected to a campus counseling service to begin the deep journey of therapeutic healing. And we'll come back to Stan's story in the course of this message. But one thing that Smith didn't tell Stan was, hey, you know, life is bad, life is tough, you've had a, a hard uh, hand dealt to you, but remember, you're saved in Jesus Christ and you will be in heaven with God someday. Now that is 
something that Stan could be assured about, but that's not what Smith told him. And that brings us to the false narrative that is part of this series. Every week we talk about a false narrative and then a true narrative. And the false narrative is that all that matters is getting to heaven. All that matters is getting to heaven. This is what I would call a cross-centric view without much resurrection. Now, it is true that we are promised that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and are born again through water and the Spirit, that we are given the gift of eternal life, that we have not just this life with Jesus in the Holy Spirit, but eternal life with God in heaven. It is true that Jesus warns his followers often, listen, be prepared, be prepared, be alert. Uh, the end could come not when you're not ready, so be ready. And that's true for all of us, whether it's the end of the world or the end of our lives. And it's true that Jesus teaches that there will be a judgment in which we stand before God and give account of our lives. And we either stand saying, I'm with the, the crucified Son or not. And some of you may even remember a song we used to sing in the church. I'll date myself here. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. No recognition anywhere in this site. <laughs> when the roll is called up yonder, 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 I'll be there. Amen, Matthew. Uh, look, I want to be there when the roll is called up yonder. I want you to be there when the roll is called up yonder. But there's much more to the Christian life than just getting to heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is drawing near. It's breaking in. Repent and believe the good news. So much of the Jesus teaching, so much of the New Testament is about living in this life before eternity. As we say every week, for God's glory, for the abundance of our own lives, and for the sake of the world. So what is the true narrative? The true narrative is that Christ, Jesus, wants to make you alive. He wants to make you alive now in this life, not just for eternity, alive to God, alive to the Holy Spirit, alive to your neighbors, alive to the widow and the orphan and the refugee, alive to opportunity, alive to pain, happiness, sadness, joy. Christ wants to make you alive. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, memorably, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, but I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Isn't that interesting? He didn't just say life. He didn't just say life in heaven. May have life and have it abundantly. At the end of John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says, Now, I haven't told you all the things Jesus did and said, but I have written these things. So that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. And in believing, you may have life in His name. 
In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul writes to the Roman Christians, and he says, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so Jesus wants to make us alive. Now, I want to talk about three key terms that have to do with this. Uh, two of them from our passage in Ephesians and one sort of uh, from another angle. And the first one is dead. <laughs> dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Smith says we're not only sinners in need of forgiveness, but dead people in need of life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, For as all died in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. Friends, you can be physically alive and dead spiritually. Think about that for a second. I mean, it sounds very harsh, you know, dead, dead. Uh, you know, Paul doesn't say, for you were frustrated through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. He didn't say, but for you were um, struggling through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. Paul doesn't say, for you were not living your best life now through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. He says, you were dead. You were dead. Well, what does he mean by that? Think about this when you, uh, maybe this describes you when you're sleeping. I mean, when you're in a deep, deep, deep slumber. What's an expression we use? Oh, they're dead to the world. Dead to the world, okay? It doesn't mean you're literally dead. It doesn't mean you're not a sentient being. But it means you're, 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 you're in a deep slumber <laughs> and oblivious to God, to the Spirit, to Jesus, to the neighbor, to anything much beyond your own agenda. That's what being dead means. Here's the best way I know how to describe it. In, in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son, many of us are familiar with that parable. A son asks for his inheritance before his father even dies, insults his father, and then he gets it and he goes off to a far country, and this was probably not his plan, but he squanders it all, and he finds himself at the lowest possible place, and he figuratively crawls back to his home, to his father, to ask if he can be reinstated in the family. And the father, of course, runs to meet him, hugs him, calls for a celebration, and the father says, let us celebrate because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost but has been found. That's what it means when it says you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. It means you were sort of uh, 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 in a deep slumber. You weren't even aware of how much God wanted you back, wants you, Jesus pursuing you, all this. You were in a slumber, okay? And Paul says you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived. And then the second term is made alive, made alive. But God, who is rich in mercy, uh, even though we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. Back to our friend Stan. He, he came back after a couple of weeks uh, and began to reconnect with the campus ministry even as he continued his therapy. And he came back on a night when Smith was teaching about, guess what, being made alive in Jesus Christ. And Smith was talking uh, about 2 Corinthians 5.17, a very beautiful and powerful uh, declaration. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation, or he is a new creation, she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. This is one of the great promises of the gospel. And Smith, as he talked to the students, said, this is in a way, how you were prepackaged. This is how you were wired together. This was God's purpose from you from the beginning. He said, for those, Paul says in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. Before you fell asleep <laughs> in your trespasses and sins, this was what God wanted for you, to be made alive in Jesus Christ. And so Paul will say in Galatians 2, 19 through 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I live in the flesh, I now live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. And in this presentation, Smith used the analogy, the illustration of uh, the caterpillar becoming the butterfly. Here's a picture of this. So uh, I found in my extensive research this week, uh, I'm not quite an insectologist, but I learned quite a bit. And if any of you love insect, uh, insects, please don't talk to me, okay? But many insects go through these four stages. They begin as an egg, and then they become a larva for the caterpillar. That, you know, a caterpillar is in the larva stage. And then you have, that should be number three, the pupa stage. And this is when the caterpillar sort of shrinks and shrivels up and a hard case develops around them, the which is called the chrysalis. And then eventually the caterpillar emerges from this chrysalis and to the fourth stage, the imago. The, for the caterpillar, that's the butterfly. Now this is one of those amazing uh, cycles of nature that is just beautiful to, to know about. But here's the thing. This is meant to be for Whatever insect is, it goes through these four stages, uh, if, if, an, if, if an insect stays a larva, something is wrong. They're meant to proceed through this. And Smith used this as an analogy because this also sort of describes the life of surrendering and putting our faith in Jesus and being going through that pupa <laughs> where we've died to ourself that you could even call the chrysalis repentance and baptism 
And all of a sudden, we're, we're, we died to ourselves, and then we're raised in newness of life. Well, our friend Stan was just mesmerized by this. He, he talked to Smith afterwards. He said, that was just magnificent. And I can tell you, preachers love it when people say something like that, you know. But he, and, and he just talked about it. And he even, he, he even said later, this, I think this is kind of how I'm seeing my identity now. Uh, butterfly. And eventually he asked Smith if he could give a testimony to the campus group about his trauma and betrayal. And he did. One of the people in that uh, campus group was visiting at the time, Rich Mullins, the late Christian musician. And Stan then said to Smith, I would like to go visit my uncle and tell him I forgive him for what he did to me and tell him about the forgiveness I've received in Christ and the new life I've been given in Christ and how he can have that too. And so Mullins went with Stan. His uncle wouldn't own up to anything, but the important thing was that Stan forgave him and told him about Jesus. And so we were dead, a slum, slumbering, asleep, oblivious. But in Christ, we are made alive, given new life. Now, here's the third key word, and we're coming at a different angle here. But the third key expression is my yoke. My yoke. What about after we're given this new life? Well, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus talks about a yoke, okay? Let's read it together. Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens. He means religious burdens, okay? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, Jesus is talking about the religiously burdened. They are just weighted down, exhausted by the demands of their religious leaders. And I just want to say clearly and emphatically, the Christian life, the life of following Jesus, is sometimes difficult. It's sometimes hard. And it's supposed to be. But it should never be burdensome. It should never feel like, you know, we're just staggering under the weight of what we're being expected to do. And that's what Jesus is speaking to here. And whenever his audience, his listeners in first century heard yoke, they would think of two things. The first is rabbinic teaching. Rabbi, you talked about being Yoked to your rabbi and to that rabbi's teaching. Here's a picture of a yoke. You know, you just put it on your shoulders and it carries a weight, okay? And so Jesus is saying some of your rabbis have loaded you down with obligations and expectations of what it means to be right with God, the law. 
And so, for instance, in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, when the apostles are having that council in Jerusalem to see whether they needed to require Gentiles to be circumcised in order to become Christians and probably carry out other aspects of the law, Peter stands up and says, why would we put a yoke on these new believers that neither our forefathers nor us have been able to bear? And in Galatians 5, verse 1, Paul says, now that you have been freed, you have answered you have answered God's invitation to freedom in Christ, why would you submit again to a yoke of slavery? Because they're starting to buy into keeping parts of the law. And so it means, first, the rabbinical teachings. But a second sort of uh, framework for hearing yoke would be what we think about, right? Farming, right? You put a yoke on the oxen. You do it every day when you put your oxen out to the field, right? Okay. Is anyone here a sentient being? Can I just get a raise your hand? Uh, but so let's see. What, look at this. This is what they will all be familiar with. You put a yoke on the shoulders of the oxen. Now, here's where this is so beautiful. Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be on that yoke with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm much stronger than you are. Uh, and I'm not just going to ask you to pull. I'm going to be pulling with you. Take my yoke upon you. And did you know, friends, you can leave with this today. If it's your one takeaway, I'll be sad. But leave with this today. That a, a horse or an oxen can pull its entire body weight. But two horse or two oxen can pull three times their body weight. 50% more because they're paired together. And Jesus says, I'm in that yoke with you, and it's going to be light, and you will have rest for your souls because we'll be pulling together. This is how I would summarize what we've talked about. Jesus gave his life for us so that Jesus could give his life to us. Jesus wants to give his life to us. He wants to share his life with us. He wants to uh, pull in the yoke with us. He wants to help us be dead to the trespasses and sins in which we once lived, which is his cross. And he wants us to be made alive to God and the Holy Spirit and new creation through his resurrection. Do you know that in 2 Peter verse 1, Peter says, you are partakers of the divine nature. Is that not amazing? Partakers of the divine nature. Jesus says, I am sending you the Holy Spirit to be with you. He will guide you into all truth. You are not alone. I want to share my life with you. And that's why in Acts 2.38, what should we do, the people say. And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. This is the chrysalis, the pupa that God invites us to go through so that we can receive new life in Jesus Christ. In closing, uh, our friend Stan makes one more appearance in Smith's story. Uh, he graduated and moved on, and they lost touch for.
for maybe a half a decade, and one day Smith receives a letter from Stan. And Stan proceeds to tell him that uh, I just want you to know how much it meant that you taught me about the finality of the cross, my full and final forgiveness in Jesus, and the reality of being made alive again in Jesus' resurrection. Thank you. And he said he was now a Navy SEAL and had a family and children, and he had a picture in there with his wife and his kids. And at the end, he signed his letter, Stan the Butterfly. Stan the Butterfly. Because, friends, this is God's invitation to us. I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I say this in such love. In the church, there are, there are always people who are earnest, sincere, believing caterpillars. They are, they are stuck. They are sort of eating the, 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 the tree limb or whatever caterpillars do, and, and, and they're being invited to just die to themselves, just to just acknowledge, repent of their sins, and just let go and say, I'm not in control of my life anymore. I'm not my own God. I don't decide for myself what is right and wrong. God's plan, God's purpose for me is to be made alive in Christ. And that's what baptism is. It's us saying, I'm letting go. That's my chrysalis. And God is just going to launch me after this have you been baptized into Christ is that your next step I'm telling you friends you are you are a beautiful caterpillar but that's not where God uh, uh, calls you to stay that's not where he calls you to stay and if you've been baptized into Christ Maybe you recognize that you, in some ways you're just, you're just living like a caterpillar again. And there's some things you've got to let go of. Just let go. I'm dying to this, Lord. I will not cling to this anymore. I'm letting go and trusting Jesus in my life. I want to invite you, if either of those fit you today, to make a decision to die to yourself. And after I pray and, 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 and Ashen leads us in a song, I'll give the benediction. And if, if you'd like to embody that decision by being baptized into Christ today, we'd love to help you with that. Or if you'd like to embody it by just, just coming up and telling me, hey, I, I want you to know that I made some decisions to die to today. And I'd love to pray with you and encourage you about that. Friends, even beautiful caterpillars aren't meant to stay as caterpillars. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much that you call us out of our deep slumber of being oblivious to you and your love and your way and your wisdom and your plan for us in Jesus Christ and through the Holy Spirit. And, and you invite us to be made alive together in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help us step forward in faith. Help each of us here in whatever way we feel called to step forward in faith. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.